Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the 41st installment, the farty first, of the Working Musicians Podcast. In fact, it is the original Working Musicians Podcast. Am I recording? I, I think I am. How about you? Are you recording over Man, there? And does everything look good over there on that fancy mixing console you got going on? There we go. Now, let me tell you something. This is not the first time me and my guest of honor have done this episode. No, it's not. In fact, it's not even the second time. Every time I fuck something up, it's like I, we get about 15, 20 minutes into it. I realize, oh, shit, I'm not even recording him. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to that godforsaken DBX. Man, that thing just, it just gives me problems. But at any rate, it, you know, yeah, yeah, it I think gives you me just, problems. Uh, I think you just screwed one of your sponsors, man. I think. No, no, no. Isn't DBX one of your sponsors? Or? No, no. But speaking oh. of sponsors, my sponsor it's for today is Miller High Life because they never let me down. <laughs> oh, good. Another yeah. show selling beer to young people. That's, that's right. Excellent. And that's just what we needed. Yeah. It's called product placement. Yes. Product placement. And by the so uh, by the way, everybody knows who I am. I'm sure by every all six of you. Uh, my name is Dries Organica on the original Working Musicians podcast. And what's your name? My name is Channing Saul, like Channing Tatum. That's wonderful. Not, except not. I, girls always laugh when I say that. I'm Channing like Channing Tatum. Channing, yeah, Channing okay. is that is that a uh, what, what kind of a name is that like? That's an Irish name. It's Iron? I, I, Irish. <laughs> yeah, it's Irish. and uh, Irish. I have no Irish in my heritage, so that's pretty great. I don't think. I think. I think. Anyway, I don't think. <laughs> so in case you're wondering what he looks like, I've already said what I look like. I look like Paul Bunyan's gay hipster brother. He looks like a terrifying terrorist. <laughs> Not really. Not really at all. But uh, <laughs> sorry, I just get it. It's an inside joke. You, you won't understand because you can't see him. Uh, no, I look I look more terrifying than he does. I've got the beard, you know. That's oh, you can go to my website and see me, but I don't know. I'm on Facebook. Oh, who cares? Oh, shameless plug, man. Oh, sh- shameless oh, plug. Oh. I yeah. could I could scream my Facebook website out this window of this house right now, and more people would hear <laughs> it than yeah. announcing it on this podcast. Ooh, so. burn, burn. <laughs> Just remember, remember, this is an investment in your future. <laughs> yes, yeah. But what I want to know is why I'm the first. I mean, like. Seriously, you couldn't do any better with your guests. You didn't have somebody more well, interesting, more captivating, more maybe much smarter than me. Or well, you see, it's all funnier, about uh, more entertaining, uh, taller. No, uh, to be perfectly honest, no. Uh, this is this is about as good as it gets. Better uh, dressed. No, uh, you, you see, we, I, I'm not a very big, uh, I'm not a be- very big internet personality as of yet. But remember, as of yet. Isn't there like a janitor at the place you work you could have got to come on the show? I mean, like I'm a few extra, yeah, a, a day laborer that you could throw. You know, what? actually, I think Alfonso is a musician. I yeah. think he is. You know what I mean? I think he plays the ass flute or something like that. You know? Oh Whatever. boy! Oh, 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 oh! One of the finer instruments. Yeah, in, <laughs> found. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I've got a guy who works for me. I'm pretty sure plays the flesh flute. You know what I mean? But that's okay. Great. Yeah, Great. yeah, yeah. So, uh, hey, sign of the times, man. I know, man. Isn't it weird how that's it's like it's totally legit now and normal? And it's like it's not even a big deal. Like nobody cares. Nobody well, it, cares. It, yeah, that's a good. It it is good for them. Mm-hmm. No, just kidding. <laughs> kind of like what is it that? Uh, oh, what was it? Bo Rat. He uh, yeah. comes out. So about that. But oh, slavery. It's illegal. Oh, so, so that's good. But not so much for you. you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I remember one of the funniest things that we uh, I, I got a kick out of doing, you know what I mean? And I'm not a homophobe at all, or at least any more than the average Texan is. But uh, it used to be so funny, like that the next the following weeks after, you know, uh, home, what is it? What's the politically homosexuals were allowed to get married in Texas? Is that gays? Oh, are, are they now? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's gays, lesbians. They you, they can get married here now. You don't have to go to California anymore. Oh, uh, you know, so that's great. Good for them. But. Uh, it was just so funny. You know, somebody, you see somebody walking by and it's just like, and then you just, something, something does something that bothers you. Like I was at the vapor <laughs> shop and the guy who worked there held the door open for me. And he had this certain look. He looked kind of like a, like a biker, but like kind of like a retarded one version of it. <laughs> and so there was this part of me that was like, I wanted to ask him. So by any chance, Hey, by any chance, part of you just get married recently. Congratulations. You know what I mean? Bob realized, you know what, what has this guy ever done to me? You know what I mean? <laughs> Except for open the door and be nice for me. You know what I mean? But yeah, that was kind of the running joke well, for a I while. Well, I think if you just asked him if he got married, that would hardly be an offensive question, whether you're gay or straight, you know? Yeah, except for that was kind of the running joke for like two weeks where we live. So, oh, oh. <laughs> remember this is this is this is 
this is a tea party country here, right, right, right where I live. Oh, I know. love Texas, man. Oh yeah, yeah. I love living. It. I was just, I was saying to somebody before the show that uh, I don't agree with a lot of the things that go on here, oh. man. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to go into politics because I think it divides people. I have my opinions, absolutely. But, uh, but I don't agree with certain things that are going on in the states right now. But mm-hmm. uh, if there is a place I could live where I could disagree with so much alongside these people. That's where I want to be, man. Yeah. Where it's just blatant in my face because I want to live in a place that's that free, man. I really do. You know, like, there's a just... place not too far from where we live where in front of a business, there's a big sign that says, Obama can kiss my ass. <laughs> and that's actually their business slogan. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and that's some shit. Oh, wow. I'm telling you, you know, you don't think this exists. Oh, no, it's still there. It's still there. Yeah, but uh, you know, speaking of this, I'm just going to go ahead and throw the title out there. Not that it really matters. The title of this episode is "Being a Working Musician," or is that right? Uh, yeah. Yes, it is indeed. It's called "Being a Working Musician." And so, out of curiosity, what's your opinion on these musician douche nozzles running around spewing off politics, like you know, like the Green Days? I'm I'm actually wondering why the hell we started this podcast with politics and gay people because. There's going to be like, you know, if there's eight listeners, you know, because we got some extra promotion from whoever your sponsor is this week, you know, seven of them are going to turn yeah. off because of that. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's a place you you definitely take a huge risk, you know, mm-hmm. you definitely take a huge risk. I mean, there's just going to be a lot of people that disagree with you. But for some people, mm-hmm. I guess that's important. You know, for some people, um, that's important. I guess the way I looked at music was always the approach of like. Mm-hmm. I want music to be my escapism from yeah. the real world. I want it I want it to be my other place I can go and forget about the real world. So for me it wouldn't and, and I want to really bring people together. <clears throat> but and, do you, uh, do you think that vocalizing your politics when you're on stage, in case you didn't know, uh, when I say being a working musician, Channing is indeed a working musician, not like I am, where I go to work and then I come home and I'm a musician. No, he goes to work and as his job he is a musician. Right? So out of curiosity, when you're out there doing your thing and he does all kinds of different stuff. Uh, anywhere from full band setups to hired guns for cover bands to original albums, studio musician, all the way down to just doing a one-man band, which is I just got to see the other day. It was quite entertaining for a number of reasons, <laughs> some good, some not. But but out of curiosity, if you were to go out there running your mouth about politics, you know, how would that go down? It depends on where you are, you know. I mean, uh, is that something you you realize? Hey. This is a these are this is Tea Party people. Maybe I ought to go make a, a Hillary joke or how does that work? Well, it depends on where you are in Texas. I mean, I know if you went into like inner city Houston, yeah. And like, let's say something happened, like a big like there's a big gay pride parade that went down there. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know if you went if you went there and you decided to uh, let's say bash Donald Trump and uh, yeah. support, uh, support <laughs> Obama, you know uh, everyone would be into it. Right on. Some of the ice houses I've showed up to, you know, out <laughs> in so out much. in Waller, Ooh. you know, with the biker bars, and you go in, and there's a big Confederate flag that says "Come and take it," you know, with a gun on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like uh, they probably wouldn't take as kindly to that. But um, there, there are a few things that unite everybody, regardless of your politics, and, and that's actu- hate. Actually, <laughs> oh. no, honestly, um, honestly, everybody enjoys music. Everybody, uh, all the places I show up to, they seem to enjoy, you know, having a drink or two. Oh, yeah. I like uh, drink. Honestly, pretty much everybody seems to enjoy marijuana. Oh, really? At <laughs> Wherever places? I'm at. So, <laughs> so, and it doesn't matter your politics. So, uh, the, the things I focus on are, uh, you know, playing the songs everybody likes and mm-hmm. having fun. I prefer to unite people, not divide. And, and politics t- tends to divide people. <laughs> and I really respect bands that are like, political you know what i mean that really like a system of a down and rage against the machine man Mm -hmm. it's so epic and uh but it's just not what i do it's just not my place you know what i mean and i I think my role and i think i'm much better at bringing people together and and making them laugh and have fun you know there are certain kinds of music that everyone has an appreciation for in america it's really amazing (laughs) and around the world like uh you play a johnny cash or a credence clearwater revival song yeah and it seems like i mean I've, I've taught kids in lessons that are five years old and they want to learn Ring of Fire by Johnny yeah. Cash. You know what I think is it's funny? It's unbelievable, you know? It's like you're not allowed to, at least in Texas, to say that you don't like Johnny Cash. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you do, there's something, like, clearly wrong with you, you know? Yeah, it's funny about that because I wonder if you took out the movie they made about him <laughs> with Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. 
which was an excellent movie. Sure. And if you took out all the T-shirts that say Johnny Cash Well, you're Cash in Texas. You them, can't say otherwise. So. <laughs> well, if you took out all the Walmart T-shirts for Johnny Cash and, and took all the, the uh, marketing at the mainstream, I wonder how many people would actually still be into his music you know I, yeah. I can't say for sure but i just wonder you know like the doors yeah. i remember the doors movie with val kilmer came out like everybody loved the doors for like 10 years but when we were growing up in the 90s like nobody had even heard or let alone cared yeah. about him and if we'd listened to him we probably would have thought hey this is carnival music you, Do you know, kind of feel that on? same way about um oh come on willie nelson uh yeah i do all the time actually i i wonder like if this guy didn't smoke pot Mm-hmm. And wasn't such a likable character. Like, yeah. would you really want to listen to this guy? And I'm not trying to take anything <laughs> right, away right. from these people as as artists, man. Because they, I mean, like, one thing you've got to respect is like everything came from Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and CCR. I mean, that's like right on, the, right on. the golden age of songwriting and the golden age of of American storytelling in rock and roll. I mean, even they were they're they're in these subgenres of like rockabilly and country and mm-hmm. uh, folk and everything. <laughs> really, I mean, it's just the golden age of, of songwriting and rock and roll. And so you've you've got to wonder, I mean, you know, how many people like Chuck Berry died recently and how many people were really like there's never been a movie made about him. Yeah. And, and like Willie Nelson, there he doesn't have like a Willie Nelson persona about him. How many people are really taking out after Chuck Berry and listening to his music and wearing his shirts? Yeah, because he never he never had that level of marketing and that level of personality you know, and that level. So you just got and he was certainly just as influential as all those other guys. So right on, right on. Well, it's kind of funny you bring up a good point. Uh, do you like? You see what I did there? You like that? Yeah. Okay. Right. No, on. I don't actually. I had to drink some beer, but, <laughs> but um, I'm going. Sorry, with we're it. personal friends, so we're trying not to talk over each other. So what you don't see, obviously, because this is a radio thing, is that we're trying like, hold on, shut the fuck I up. Chris you know? was, I think I think Dreis was doing the Macarena. Yeah, I was doing a Macarena, so. but uh, no, no. But you brought up something I didn't want to forget about this. Is I think one of the main draws to seeing you perform is. I'm not to say you're not a talented musician because you are, but it's it's more so the I think you're likable. Like that's the kind of the most the the draw to it. You have like a persona, and it's not completely different from who you are, but it's not exactly who you are. But it seems like you've kind of realized, based on what you've said, is and but what I've observed is that you kind of realize a lot of the importance to being successful as a musician is to be the kind of person that people like. You know, they want to someone that's cool, someone that they. They they want to like your music because they like you. Is that there's something to be said about that? I think you need to see some better acts, man, <laughs> and get some better people on your podcast and reevaluate. Because geez, dude, you have oh I've such seen. terribly low standards. No, hey, I'm just I mean, honestly. I've I'm, seen some good acts, but I didn't like them. It, it, there's just something about it that turned me off. Because like that's great, you can do all the shred yeah, metal, well, that, but I don't. That's kind I don't of a like point. You. That's kind of a point about being a, any kind of a musician is that. Um, I think for me, the most effective thing is just genuine enthusiasm. Right on. I think you can have a whole show planned out. I think you can have every cue planned out, every aspect of production, every aspect of your sound, of your songs, everything completely done. But there is something that people connect with if you are genuinely enthusiastic if you genuinely love what you're doing and people can just tell and you can fake it you could be the best actor as far as you wanted to be you could be the best actor in the world but if you're not genuinely into it i think it's very difficult to connect with people yeah and you know something i think that's interesting is uh you know i've seen you morph your image and one of the episodes i did was uh you know looking the part right and this is a tough one you know what i mean because i mean clearly hey you've been in country bands you've been in uh progressive rock bands, death metal bands, all the way down to like pop cover bands. You know what I mean? And, uh, and and this is in Texas, mind you. So like, how would you say that, that looking the part, is that really as important or like, or is it more so like being yourself and being genuine? That makes sense. I saw some uh, people on a Facebook post, the actually, actually the other day discussing this. I think it was Really interesting because they were talking about how disappointing it is when you go see a band and they have their look down perfectly and they just look like the greatest band Mm -hmm. and you go see them and they have no stage presence. They're just standing there. So, But I think sometimes it makes it more interesting these days to have a look that's opposite 
to what you're actually kind of surprise you because like well because it's like how many metal shows you being you have you been to and it's exactly what you expect like it's oakley like, dokley have you heard of the ned flanders band oakley dokley <laughs> no I haven't. Oh, oh it is something <laughs> no, to see really they're actually i mean for what it is it's not my thing but they all look like Ned Flanders, right? But they play this like super death metal. <laughs> See, and that's and that's you know? amazing now because how many bands have I seen that they're all sleeved out with tattoos and mm-hmm. they have tons of spikes and chains and sunglasses <laughs> and just all kinds of ridiculous shit. And I mean, I think it'd be more interesting to see a guy who's dressed like that go up and sing soft folk music love yeah. songs than it would be at this point. But it's just because it's so overdone. So I don't really know... Um, I try and go and dress the way I would want to see a band if I went out. You know right what I mean? I don't, I don't want to see a grungy guy right now because it's just over. Yeah. And- well, in all fairness, I do want to say that this is coming from somebody who's being like kind of looking at from themselves from the inside out because uh, what was the one of that, that uh, band you played with? Uh, They're kind of metally. Uh, uh, could have been Chrome 44. It could have been Mellow Vine. It could have been. Uh, it wasn't. No, it was. Ground. It was before you were in I Suck Balls. Uh, whatever band that. Uh, <laughs> Melon Melonvine, because I always melon call them Melonvine. Yeah, yeah Melonvine. They were pretty cool, man. But oh, by the way, let me give those guys a plug before I forget. Uh, they're in a band now called To Whom It May. Uh huh. And guys. I've actually heard of them through oh, other people. Oh, and they are unbelievable. They just uh, played on Whatever Fest, which was with A Wall Nation and Victor Wooten. It's I've heard very of them. impressive. And I'm telling you, I don't really even listen to much heavy music anymore because I did nothing but it for ten years. But. Uh, I'm telling you, these guys are a very heavy band, but it's very progressive, and it is awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. they'll blow your mind, and I really, really think they have a great future in music right now. They're already hooked up with some XM stations. They're uh, coming out with an album this year. It's Those guys are great. Check them out. Well, I tell you what, maybe I'll get them on my show so I can really uh, springboard their careers. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you gotta tell them that shit. <laughs> They're just laughing. You know? <laughs> but now, if you think about how you looked in that band, I mean- yeah. Dude, I'm gonna be honest. You kind of looked like uh, something out of System of a Down at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, you had the long like hair. Surge, had yeah, the, had the surge look. Yeah, going yeah, on. yeah. Now, now, out of curiosity, going back, was surge it from System <clears throat> of a Down? Just so. Yeah, yeah. In case you were wanting, not surge. All from four the, people who are listening right now know. Yeah, surge from System of a Down. Not the guy who who you know prints your photos at the CVS. <laughs> that that's somebody completely different. <laughs> all right, I, I'm not trying to stereotype here. Not the guy who takes you. To the restaurant and back to your house in the city. That that's not the same Serge, okay? Or the guy at the convenience store who sells you overpriced beer and cigarettes that are out of date. And at the same time, every time you go to fill up with gas, you think you're funding fucking Hamas. I'm sorry. I'm I'm taking this too. I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna stop here. But if you were to go back, if you were to have gone back and like knowing who you are now. Was it necessary, in your opinion, to have all that that extra hair and and beard and and all that extra stuff and like and everything that came with it? You know what I mean? It wasn't just that; it was the lifestyle. Was it really necessary? But if you were to have joined that band now, would you have done the same things? It, it's funny you bring it up that way because um, it, it it ties into the idea of being a working musician in general. You know, is it necessary? to do nothing but music with your life to take on like kind of a starving artist mentality to do music Mm -hmm. to be an artist or can you just have a normal career and do music on the side because honestly many many of the musicians i've met that are in very well established bands uh have the story that they have another career going Mm -hmm. and the reason honestly that they're able to do music so effectively is because they don't need to depend on the next paycheck as a musical endeavor. They yeah. can go and work their job and do whatever they want with their music. And the most famous and probably the most uh, uh, most successful version of this is the band you may have heard of called Tool with Maynard James Keenan, As a matter Karen, of fact, Justin I have... Chancellor, and Adam Jones. Well, in all fairness... And, and those guys, if, if you look at their early interviews... Paul DeMore, too, but he was a dick. <laughs> They got rid of that well, Neil, Neil I don't dick. know about that. I know Paul DeMore's band was uh, supposed to open for us at a show here in Houston one time, and that seemed insulting to me. And they, they for some reason, didn't show up, quote-unquote, for some reason. But uh, And here's the hilarious thing. The band I was in, it was in a perfect circle tribute. So, <laughs> so how would, this is a true story. So how would you like oh, to be booked? How would you like to be booked on your former bandmates' side projects tribute band? <laughs> As an opener, as an opener, 
not as, not even they get to open for you. Like you're opening not for their side project, but for their yeah. side projects tribute Put band. Put you in your place. Oh my gosh, how horrible! But that is I don't terrible. Know. But again, man. going back to the idea, hey, I, don't blame I mean, them. The, the whole point of the tool story is that they will all say in their interviews they were very successful in other areas of their life, and they started tool just to do the art. And the whole reason they were able to do things so effectively is because they weren't relying on the next paycheck to get it done. They weren't relying on it as a, as a pay thing. They were able to just focus on the art. Right on. So do you have to be a working musician uh, full time and being a starving artist to really legitimize it? No, absolutely not. But for people like me, for whatever reason, it's just a chip or something in the gene that we get born with. It was just very important for me and for so many other people to, uh, this is going to be what I do. I have to put my whole life into it. Even if it doesn't get me a step ahead, I need to do this every day. I need to focus all my time on it, you know. Eventually, you may branch out into other things, which right I'm doing on. a little bit of now. But for me, that's what it was all about. And I don't know. There's just Neither one is better than the other, honestly. Right on. True. Well said. Well said. I got lots to talk about. Oh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, lots to talk about. Sorry, we took a little 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 beer break there. A little beer break. A little beer break, and to be honest, who who we shouldn't? I had to pee like a racehorse. <laughs> mm, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so ha um, <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's real. So we we left off with them saying, you know, there's not really one that's necessarily better than the other, but you know what? I tell you what. <clears throat> You know, the, the concept of a hipster, that wasn't really around when we were at music. That didn't really oh, exist. not at all. But the same kind of attitude that you would think of, like the present day, like hipster attitude on on being a sellout, that's just as big now as it was then, even though you, we didn't identify them ourselves as that. Yeah. But, from a hipster perspective, it is. I think from a mainstream perspective, it's uh, <clears throat> being a sellout is almost an obsolete idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, people now uh, just really take for granted that, yeah, if you want to do art, you should be like everyone else. You should try and be somewhat successful about it, because why but, not? But you know what? It's something else that changed in our lifetimes. And granted, we're both in our young 30s here at the at the at at this particular point yeah, of airing. Yeah. In 15 years, when you might be hearing this episode, well, we will not be in our young 30s. <laughs> we'll be older. That makes sense. But, uh, you know, there's there at the, when we first got out and did, started doing this Napster and scour music it, it had just started out i mean just hit the scene it yeah. had just hit the scene and so we were still buying records yeah you know? we we still bought records i had hundreds of cds i had you know, hundreds of tapes and you know that's just what we did with our money we we bought records and that's used, we used to swap and trade and it was like a big thing oh it was so funny remember i don't know if you remember this i have to tell this story this yeah. is such a tangent i'm so sorry but i gotta tell this story there was a time in like seventh grade where we just met and you had like a Blur CD I wanted. Oh, you yeah. You, it had song number two on it. It had Beetlebug. Which, by the way, Blur, the same guys, the Gorillas now, mm -hmm. which is an excellent project. And, and Blur was a very clever and excellent project as well. Anyway, there was a time I wanted a Blur CD. <clears throat> I offered to buy it. I think it was like 10 bucks or something. You offered to sell it to me. So somehow you talked me into, it went from being the CD to you're going to burn me a tape of it. <laughs> and I had to pay 10 bucks and provide the tape. And well, I went for it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. What people don't realize, you know how much I got? Okay, when I bought the 311 self-titled album oh, at wow. Sam Goody, yeah. it was $19.99 plus tax. Yeah, and it what? was a CD, right? Or and it was, was it a CD. And CDs were actually cheaper to manufacture. They told everybody they were more expensive because of digital encoding, but we all found out that was nonsense, mm -hmm. you know. And like it was a legit thing. You don't people don't understand now with CDs you get, you know, a hundred of them for ten bucks, you know what I mean? Right. But at the time it was no, like that was very common. It, it was like three dollars a CD. Yeah. I mean, so it's one of those things and you lost one and the burners were terrible, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just funny how things change and like we used to trade yeah. and swap music. Now it's like you just, they just send it to you in a, in a text message. It's not even a big deal. Or you just get on, it's like, hey, I can get on YouTube myself, asshole. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's not, it's totally changed. And so I think that's kind of the difference. It's kind of like, you know, we were there for the, the crossroads when yeah. it kind of changed from being the fact where there was, there was musicians and then there were sellouts, 
right now it's kind of like one there is no such thing as you're a musician or you're it doesn't exist yeah except for in the like the hipster underground ring yeah like the extreme the places it's always been it's it's still there you know if is you're it like still a, there yeah yeah but i i was just saying you know in the mainstream in the general <clears> public but if you're like a big enthusiast of underground punk you know and you think fair you enough feel a certain way you know yeah it's still gonna be there of course but but is it as prominent as it used to be certainly not in the mainstream but but when we were yeah when we were kids i mean it was such a huge idea you know and and all the time before us it was such a huge idea because people identified with music as a counterculture thing and that was it was supposed to be an extension of your personality you know and i think i think another thing there were two kinds of music i think uh there were many kinds of music that changed that you know punk rock was one of them you know, you went from punk rock being a very underground thing. Right. I think the two very, very, very mainstream kinds of music that did that were uh, were country music and especially uh, rap. Yeah. I'd you know, sw- rap music was really all about, you know, let's make a buck off the music for a long time, actually above all else. Not mm-hmm. not only could you, could you be like uh, Tupac or Biggie who spoke their yeah. stories and were very successful at it, but it actually became... The whole purpose of it is just money. Just, yeah, and they just like your drug dealing or whatever else. Not and it's funny because <laughs> they weren't apologetic about it. You know what I mean? Houston rap. No, they, has were, li- its, they were yeah. literally bragging. And when the chopped and screw thing happened in Houston, oh. Paul Wall went number one. I think it was in two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah, and that was chopped. And then there was Mike, Mike Jones. Jones. Yeah, Mike Jones and DJ Screw and all these Dude, people. Dude, I, I was honeymooning was in Tennessee. And heard people, Mike yeah, Jones. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm there's, like, I mean, there's what? completely country people up in like Pennsylvania that are like, oh yeah, you know, Paul Wall, Mike Jones. But you know, and it's really funny about that kind of music because it was such a, uh, believe it or, it's hard to tell when you listen to it when you have like a any kind of a musical background like we do. But it was a very real thing that happened with mm-hmm. DJ Screw. He was the first one. There are these. The story is there are these guys that would do, they would sit around, they would would drink this certain kind of cough syrup. Yeah, to get to get kind of a drunk and a high at the same time, and there, your whole perception of time and reality kind of slows down, and that's why that slowed down kind of music sounded so excellent at the time. Yeah, you know, for them, and uh, and it was this thing they all did very organically, and it blew up to a nationwide level for a while. No one really remembers it anymore, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul Wall's album was number one in the country. He was he was literally as big as Eminem for a while. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, and to didn't think last, about that but... now, and I think part of the reason that didn't really last is because there really wasn't a lot to dig into. You know what I mean? It it was something that came up very organically, but but by the time they hit the mainstream, it's just yeah, like, it kind of fizzled out. Well, it, not just that it fizzled out. Many music, many kinds of music will fizzle out. Like yeah. grunge kind of came and went. Yeah. you know, hair metal came and went. Oh, but, thank God. But the big difference is like with grunge they were telling real stories. It wasn't just, I am here to sell albums and that's it. And that's what happened with the chopped and screw thing. It's, we are here to sell albums and promote ourselves. And that is it. And that caused it not to really stand the test of time as well. Fair enough. But now it's funny. You mentioned the test of time because that's when somebody was kind of like, Hey, let's talk about this. Uh, You know, it's kind of like the concept of the sellout artist. You know what I mean? You hear the, the breakout artists first CD and then you hear their second one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where it's kind of like, okay, you know, in your opinion, you're clearly, you know, we kind of took two different stands on this. I chose to get a career and do music as a passion. You chose to do music as a career, right? And we we clearly respect each other's approach and how we do things and we get along fine. It's not like we're at odds or disrespect each other. You know what I mean? And not to say that people, you know, who, who decide to do music full time, and, and look at people like me as just sellouts and, and just, you know, abominations to the I'm music. I'm actually envious of people like right. you. But, but you see what I'm saying? actually do music for fun, you know. It's but not you, that it's not fun for me. But, but you would say, like, people like you, how do they view people, you know, how, do, how does a legitimate working musician, if somebody who makes their mu- money, their livelihood off of music, how do they view people like me? Oh, God. Well, like, again, me, I'm kind of envious because I kind of think, wow, you have, like, this... I, I think it's one of those things like for me the grass is always greener. If I had a if I yeah. had a career that was very demanding but I was very successful at, I would look at the and I do know guys like this. I know a, a drummer friend of mine who's an architect and uh he wants to quit his job and go on tour with music, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? 
So, uh, but but for me, I look at somebody with a stable career, and I'm kind of like, man, that must be nice, you know, yeah. just to do music as a passion, just to and and again, not that I'm not passionate every single time I play, but at a point, you know, <laughs> you want to get into it the way you just had innocently as a kid. Yeah, you know what I mean. There are other things that come with responsibilities about being an artist if you're going to do it as a full time thing. But I think uh, I think most people to answer your question. <laughs> in a more concise way. I think that most people really, it doesn't really matter as much for them uh, mm -hmm. what your background is these days because music is so accessible because CDs aren't the thing because record sales aren't such a big deal. It's just about, you know, what is the music? What are they doing? That's it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it kind of seems like sort of the, it doesn't matter what you do for a profession, what your money is, what your social economic status is. Like one thing I've noticed about musicians is that it's kind of like you're, who you are as an artist and a musician is kind of like the tie that binds. You know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. And if, for example, I, I don't know how to say this, like there are musicians out there who would look down their noses at me for being just a complete amateur. You know what I mean? There are musicians out there who are so good and so dedicated that I'm just like a joke to them. And that's the extreme one, one or 2%. For the other 90%, guys like me and you are the extreme one and 2%. You know what I mean? Yeah. And with us, we're, we're almost pretty bad about it because we, I mean, I don't know, kind of had a conversation about this before the show, but like we almost kind of look down at like the elitists of the instruments now, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there, there's so many guitarists that they can shred a guitar and play so quickly and play so technically. I know. And at such an esoteric level that we can't even understand that the music doesn't even cut through. The whole point seems to be, man, this guy is really, really it's fast like at the guitar. How and inadequate must you feel as a person to work <laughs> that hard Hey, going, you know what I mean? That's kind of the thing that never understood me. Yeah, well, I mean, I worked in a guitar shop for a while, and there was a guy who uh, owned the store and had for 35 years. He'd heard all kinds of players, you know, and we had a we have a world-famous shredder in there, actually. Uh, his name's yeah. Rusty Cooley. Right on, right and, on. And he would walk by. Oh, I probably shouldn't have dropped that name. <laughs> well, in all fairness, hey. he didn't turn you into a shredder, now did he? Yeah, yeah. Well, Master but here's, the, here's the thing, you know, the, the owner would kind of walk by, and he didn't mean it in a mean way. He didn't mean it in a condescending way, but he just meant it in a way more like, hey, I'm an older guy. I can't really understand this. But he'd go, man, that sounds like a damn pinball machine in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this guy would be doing something that none of us have ever even dreamed of trying to do. You know yeah. what I mean? And he'd just be in there jamming away like he would for eight hours a day because that's his thing. Dude, He's so devoted. I had to stop. I, I actually, this. you know the whole reason, did I ever tell the reason why I started playing acoustic guitar? Uh, No, no. After about five or six years of playing pretty much exclusively uh, uh, electric guitar, I decided, you know what, I'm going to learn how to do leads and shred and all that. And once I realized what it was going to take for me to learn how to do that, I was about to smash my guitar and just give up. Like, I mean, I know I could yeah. do it if I put in the time and effort and I got to where I could do the sweeping. But I'm like, nice, fuck nice. this. Yeah. I, this I'm doing, I hate myself. <laughs> like, I'm going to learn how to do this and just fucking hate myself. And I, you know what? I've, heard, I've probably touched the electric guitar yeah. 10 times in the 10 years after that so thanks to guys like dragon forest i never play the electric guitar anymore wow. and that that's kind of incredible to me that people who uh they probably inspired a million people to play guitars because mm -hmm. of their level of ability and they actually made some people put it down you know what yeah. i mean so i guess but that having been said i mean i'm glad there's people out there like that that push the limits i mean yeah it's I, not I, that I, they didn't inspire me they just oh inspired gosh. me to give up <laughs> <laughs> you know? well part of that comes too with um Again, I think you have to, I, I don't think I know that you have to sincerely enjoy that kind of music and doing yeah. that kind of thing. And if you had enjoyed that kind of music and listening oh, to I'd it, have done it and doing that kind of thing, you would have stuck with it. it <clears throat> it's more that just that kind of music wasn't for you and that whole scene yeah. wasn't for you. And I think I think that comes with a lot of different places. It's like who likes the Rolling Stones and who likes the Beatles? You know what I mean? There's, there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. Well, have you noticed that, and I've seen this a lot, and I talk with a lot of younger musicians who are still trying to find themselves as artists, and we've been there before. You know, I think sure. it's safe to say, Channing, you found yourself as an artist. At this point, I found myself as an artist, and 
I gotta you say, continue to find yourself though. You know, I just heard a exactly. Dreis, I, I I just heard a song you wrote today that was uh, very different. Actually, I heard two that you're doing pre-production for right now, and I heard uh, I think one's about your little girl and one's exactly. About, uh, you know, and they're just songs that one's uh, about my daughter and one's about you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Who knows? Yeah. Well, I was about to say something terrible, but I shouldn't <laughs> use my daughter in this in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, probably shouldn't. Yeah. But uh, but no, I mean, yeah, you just continue to find yourself. You know, you continue to evolve as a person. I mean, you don't you don't stop evolving as a person. You know, yeah. so you don't stop evolving as an artist. And I think the greater artists of our time kind of realize this and continue to evolve, whether we realize it or not. You know. Yeah, and it's funny because okay, there's the the music we listen to, right? So you would think you would write music more like you what you listen to right you'd think but not true but at you all. don't yeah it's yeah. not even close it's not even now close. now now granted that was the case for me I, I used to really like the hard metal and then i i got introduced to tool and perfect circle and what do you know i started writing music more like that that was my thing but now i do strictly acoustic yeah who would have thought that in 10 years i would have flip-flopped 180 like that you know yeah. what i mean the same thing with you yeah, you know? exa- exactly the same thing. Because I kind of took a look at what you were doing and realized, hey, if this if this fuck up can do this, then surely I can do it. You know <laughs> yeah, what exactly. I mean? <laughs> exactly. It turns out you were right. And yeah, well, and I mean, sometimes you just get, you know, it goes back to the idea of the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Like mm-hmm. if you're writing music for 10 years or for five years, or sometimes even if, if it's very intense for two, three, four years, that's very heavy that you're in a full band with a full drum set an extra singer a backup singers you know a guitarist a bassist with distortion on it and you're just really really working the grind to make the most heavy hitting thing as you can you know sometimes you just want to be able to sit down with your acoustic and express yourself and you know <laughs> once you fall in love with that you're like you know what i want to put this in front of people I want this to be how people perceive me. I want to connect. I want to show this to people. And I want this to be what I share with people. And then you get to a point where it's almost like if you're playing like I was, a bass guitar, glass jaw style with distortion on it. Right on. That it just feels fake. It doesn't mm-hmm. because you've fallen in love with another thing. So I think some of it just has to do with what you've been doing. And, you know, that that dictates what's interesting next. You know, it's like how Johnny Cash went and covered a Nine Inch Nails song. Do you think if he'd been in the band nine inch nails it would have been very interesting to go and cover no. one of their songs no it would have been interesting to go and cover a johnny cash song so it's just the yeah. grass is always greener on the other side of the fence and i think that's what keeps you valid as an artist you know we were talking about how disturbed just had a uh just had a new single uh the paul simon cover yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, Silence, yeah. it was you know? cool it was cool it was incredible and part of what made it incredible is you would have never expected disturbed to yeah. do that it was just incredibly done on any level but part of what made that awesome is you would have never expected them to do that yeah and you know it's funny like if you were to have to go back you know and go do and be a bass player for insert heavy metal band here mm-hmm. could you like could you do it with the same like ergo or would it kind of feel like you were faking it yeah it got it got to feel like i was faking it for about the past um six months or a year Mm-hmm. For about the past six month or year, I was uh, kind of doing it in a certain band because, you know, I always loved playing the shows. That's what I always loved about playing heavy music. But it's kind of it's it easy to know what to do at a heavy show. You it, know what you're supposed to yeah, do. Yeah. And it, it felt, but it felt mechanical, you know, yeah. and it felt like, you know, in, in the beginning when you're young, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's like tons of lights. Tons of, tons of sound production, tons of effects. And that, that I, I don't use smoke and mirrors in a, in a bad way, but it starts to feel like in a bad way. You know, yeah. it starts to feel like, man, I want to strip it down as a musician. I want people to see more what I'm playing and just kind of focus on that mm-hmm. and be able to sit in a theater, in a quiet theater and, and connect with that. You know, I don't want, uh, I don't want all the big strobe lights and smoke machines and, different yeah. color you know a million different things going on 20 billion watts of sound you know and yeah. that's just and that's just the experience i had but some people fall in love with it and they'll never quit man and that's awesome well you're more involved in the scene than i am and you know i've I kind of i've kind of alluded to in the past that you know there's what you think you're as cool in your teens and early 20s and then by the time you get to your late 20s and early 30s kind of like where we're at yeah it's like 
that shit don't seem so cool anymore. You know well, what I mean? Why, why would it with music? I mean, does the, does the way you dressed back then yeah. seem good? Does the way you approach the world seem cool from back then? Well, it's like you look like, at your 13 year old self and be like, man, I really want to go back to that. No, of, of course not. Yeah. I mean. And now, now Channing, you've known me for quite a while and you could probably imagine where some of my anger and hostility came from as a younger youth and where Maybe. I, and where I, I, you know, I, I kind of, hooked to the heavier music maybe yeah but like for me to go back and try to do that i would feel like an imposter <laughs> you know what i mean yeah just feel totally fake you it's know? not who i am anymore and right. that's why i kind of wonder like how many people do you know that get to their 30s and 40s and can still do what i would call young you know teenager early 20s your tweens metal how many yeah. people can still do your your tweeny pop <laughs> and that a lot when they're of guys, in their 40s like is that a skill am i missing it or a lot is of it guys do it and it just kind of looks goofy to us um yeah but are we the extreme like left or right where we don't see it the same way that the average person does because i see this stuff i'm like this looks ridiculous jeez i don't know that's a good question I would I would like to know how the average musician yeah. experiences. It. Are we that because, deep into it that we are just the outliers, or are we the mainstream? And I just don't have the answer for that. It now. certainly seems to me that what other guys came up doing, they still appreciate doing. Mm-hmm. So we may be the exception in that way. Um, but because I, I don't part like of that, metal anymore, it's, it just drives me nuts. Okay, cool. You got one finger. You can play metal. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. It's all good fun, you know. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I still think like so, some of this stuff. I, th- I think a lot of these guys come up playing a certain kind of music, and uh, maybe they have a different association with it. You mm-hmm. know, maybe they're kind of uh, bred into that life. Because as much as you might feel as an imposter now to go and do that kind of music, we were very much imposters when we were kids doing that kind of music. Yeah. Because we really didn't have the same kind of uh, mentality as those people. We weren't yeah. really. We weren't really. Uh, People who like dressed in all black, you know, back then it was such a goth scene for all the metal. So there was a there's a big way that we were already imposters and maybe we just kind of realized that. I don't know. It yeah. certainly didn't certainly felt great at the time. It did, looked, didn't it, man? Yeah. Remember the demos? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Just, just, well, and that's another thing, like recording back then was even even still when we were I mean, even in the mid and late nineties, recording was still such a big deal. Well, you know what's funny? It was still such a big deal to record something. Like my pre production tracks that I do half ass without even thinking about it or rehearsing <laughs> yeah. sound way better than the shit we did back then. Right, just because right. of the technology curve. Right. But you know, I heard a uh, an interview with actually James Setfield from Metallica talking about that that very issue that like many bands will go back and remaster these classic albums because why not you know yeah. because because you could make an album that was so dated sounding That's sound true. great by modern standards and why wouldn't he want to do that and he's really against it and it's because he said you know the way those albums sounded are like a characteristic of the uh, of the time mm-hmm. and they're they represent the time and they're a piece of the art so if you go back and change that it's wrong to do, you know, even if the mix on, I think he was talking in justice for all from Metallica is all drums and rhythm yeah, guitar. It is, you know, and no, no bass. bass. He said that represents what we were going Respect. through at the time. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just like, it's, it's awesome that, you know, you could, you could go back and have a band that is that big, that phenomenal, that successful and still says, let's just be what we were. Even if it's well, sucked in a sense, you know, from a, yeah. from a mixing point of view, it did kind of suck. You know? Well, if you were to take a band like Metallica, I, and I've heard these people that they play stuff and it sounds just like Metallica, but it just doesn't, you can't do that. But what I've noticed that like, uh, what I love that I, something that I find myself doing is, well, I may not really be into the heavy metal music like or the hard rock or into the grunge like i used to be i still but elements of that from you know people that you know from their heyday they incorporated into what they hear today and it kind of transforms into something new and different and right now it's kind of like you figure we've kind of gone from the 90s grunge right that that used to be the big thing in the 90s and the alternative now it's kind of gone into this new wave like electro pop dubstep you know now they're doing dubstep rock with anal retentive or radioactive or whatever my radioactive <laughs> anal retention or something you know and it's a cool song man. It sold a million hey man i wish i would have done it you know what i mean but it's just it's not my wheelhouse but like what i'm wondering is so the the youth of today when they hear like this this like 90s inspired music 
are they just turned off by it? Like, where did this shit? It's kind of like this stuff is more inspired from the eighties. How is it that we skipped a whole generation? I don't think we did necessarily. I just think that, um, because gosh, I'm thinking like I know a 16 year old kid right now that's like totally into Nirvana. You know what I mean? And but people still dig that stuff. The the same the same way we did. So I don't. But I think what it was prominent in the 80s that may be inspiring young people uh, that wasn't prominent in the 90s. And it's funny, if you look back, the 90s were very exceptional. <laughs> Our generation really was, was very exceptional in the in the sense that... We, it was like the end of the hate of rock. Well, really, the 90s I killed. Think, I think there was still a rock attitude, but the, it was the end of, a, in a sense of like virtuoso guitar and bass playing in the mainstream radio world now yeah. it's always still there on the internet in the underground in other and genres but i think in the mainstream rock world like literally like if you like nirvana like it was it was kind of uncool to be like that awesome at guitar like yeah. you're were, you were kind of seen as like this old guy who like you know from like poison or something but if you look at every other genre since the electric guitar was invented i mean even starting with les paul one of the great inventors of the guitar they were virtuosos man yeah i mean they they could shred like a guitar even if it wasn't with distortion and would you say that kind of technology is sort of to blame for this because if you think about it like nowadays anybody like hell i can i've got a studio in my house you know what i mean and it's not even like a big deal it wasn't like a huge investment but it used to be back then when it was such there were so many barriers to entry to making a professional sounding album that like why would somebody drop that much money unless you were the biggest thing since sliced bread you know i mean because if you think about it they were paying people big money to write songs they were paying the best musicians big money to play and and it was it was such a huge team effort of the best of the best, whereas today it's kind of like any jackass with a, a laptop <laughs> and a and a USB microphone and their yeti, yeah, is making music. It it could be it could be as far as the mainstream's concerned because like but would and, you say the music has gotten worse or better, or is it oh just gosh that's a, that's a completely uh, how do you answer objection? I know it's kind of like impossible because yeah. in some ways it's gotten much better. It's more it's more diverse. But I tell you what, on average, the music is worse. But as a result of there being yeah. fewer barriers to entry, naturally, there's more shit out there. And it's kind of, it's like so impossible to sift through it. Because it used to be like where if an album came out, even if it wasn't like your thing, it was still good. Yeah. Now, I can release an album every other day. Yeah. And it can suck monkey balls. Yeah. But I, there's nobody <laughs> stopping me because there's no like f- big financial barrier. I, I drop 800 bucks and I got a studio. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's almost because there's like so many people doing it that it's almost kind of killed it because, oh, you know, well, now that all there's, there's the barriers to entry are gone. Well, it's almost kind of made it worse because now most of the music sucks. Yeah. And I think it's like over a hundred thousand album releases happen a year now. It's like, I mean, it is such like per year, it is such a ridiculous amount that you couldn't keep up with all of them. But I have a few thoughts on this. Like one is that um, when you say it's worse, like, is it worse or better? It kind of depends know. on to who, you know yeah. what I mean? If it, If it's a kid who never had the the access or the means and was coming up really poor and couldn't even get a job before. And he just wants to express himself lyrically over a beat. Then for him, the music scene is infinitely better because yeah. he can do that now. You know what I mean? If, if, he, wants to, if he wants to go and do a spoken word poetry album yeah. with a beat, you know, then it's going to happen. But here's the, here's the other aspect of who it is like, there is such a thing as musical complexity. You know what I mean? It's like uh, the analogy I like to use is like, you can say people want different things out of music. That's a valid point. You can say it's up to anybody to decide what's good and what's bad. That's another valid point. But here's what it really comes down to is like, you could say the same thing about say reading about say plays that people listens to different things for different reasons. But ultimately Shakespeare is better than some, you know, amateur modern word artist. Mm-hmm. Now you can you can argue that you connected more with the other guy. That's just. But it. there is such a thing as like you know Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, and Beethoven, <laughs> and really like those guys really are better music. So it's like clearly sense. Mozart is better, but you know what? I like Nirvana. You're, exactly. Yeah. Fair so, enough. So that's the point. So I mean. Yeah, it depends on who you're talking about and what people connect to musically, but but ultimately there is a point where you say, 
okay, you know, some of these things are more genius and more complex. Yeah, I think you're right. They require much, much more talent and knowledge and understanding. And that kind of brings me to this point. All right, so it's kind of funny here. Like, we we are able to distinguish the difference between kind of like a, a timeless level of talent versus... A, a timeable level of liking, right? Like right, we talked about right. Mozart's clearly better, but we like Kurt Cobain. And that and that's the other point I was gonna make is just that uh you know, you talk about, well, is technology responsible for all of this? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the I don't think so. Well maybe. Maybe and I was gonna say it's just important to realize that the, these things do come and go in cycles regardless of technology. Yeah. Does it you know, almost baroque, make you baroque think, music baroque music yes. still lives uh-huh. In our, in our, you know, and that's um, that's your Johann Sebastian Bach is the yeah. most famous one, and you know, to some extent, and Carl Philip Emanuel, and and just many many of those guys. You know, there's so many amazing Baroque artists. But the point being that, you know, Baroque, the Baroque period of classical music, and then the classical period of classical music, and then the Romantic period of classical. Oh music, yeah, yeah, yeah. you lost me already. They, well, they yeah, I get all, what you're saying. The, the, the point is, like, we still study Bach. It's yeah. definitely timeless. But it did come and go as a thing, yeah. as being the scene. It's like back, time back is in gone. the actual Baroque period, you know, going to a Baroque classical concert was like going to a rock and roll concert. Mm-hmm. And there were tons of them going on. Kind of sounds a, like the doors, doesn't it? Well, and it was extremely. Baby, won't you light my fire? I mean, you just see some dude with a big ass wig, you know what I mean? And that's really what the doors is, is fucking Baroque. With some really drugged out vocals on top of it. I don't know if it's Baroque. I think we're, you know, drunk Well, some kind of bronc. (laughs) But, you know, it's it's kind of funny because what I would say, I wouldn't say that it's so much that the technology has ruined music. What I would say is it's it's enabled like more ordinary people or um, um, uh, different types of people to be able to connect with different types of audiences. Absolutely. So it's almost more important now to be more likable and to be able to connect with other people versus being the best musician. And I think that is where the shift has been. And as a result, you don't hear the, you know, the nineties virtuoso, which was the thing that's, that's why it's kind of died. I mean, clearly those people are still out there. You just don't hear about them like you used to. Is that a fair statement? It's fair. But if if you're, you know, maybe in the mainstream, but if you're a musician or if you're a guitar enthusiast, it's, there's more of those guys coming out all the time than you could mm-hmm. ever imagine. More people are finding out about them. But we don't hear about them on the mainstream, right? No, definitely not in the mainstream. It's but, not mainstream uh, but anymore. It, but that's part of the thing about modern days, too, is that, that music in general is just more narrow-casted compared to broadcasting, meaning it's more of a genre-specific thing, mm-hmm. and people kind of get what they're seeking out. So, But, I mean, um, yeah, just the way, you know, I think what really changes the music business and I think it was largely influenced by reality television, you know, and that's that's part of the where the being likable thing comes from mm-hmm. and people wanting to know your background kind of thing. I mean, I remember uh, when, when Tool was out when we were kids, I mean, part of the appeal was the mystery. Yeah. I mean, you, oh, really, yeah. you really thought that, be, I mean, I'm not kidding. You really thought that behind the scenes, these guys were such amazing figures mm-hmm. and amazing. You did not see them as normal people. You yeah. really didn't, man. You saw them as like, and it's because they were so mysterious. Nobody, yeah. they even played to dark stage lighting. Led Zeppelin was the same way. Black Sabbath yeah. was the same way. Black Sabbath was that way for years and years and years until yeah. <laughs> like what, you know, people kind of found out what a clown yeah. Ozzy Osbourne But to cut like. you off at this point, if you yeah. look back and look at Danny Carrier Maynard or any of these guys, like they're nerds. Nerds. Yeah, they're, they're all freaking they're nerds. nerds. They're, they're kind of like cornballs, you know what I Danny mean? Danny carries at home watching what is it? Uh, his college that he always wears the Duke or whatever. Oh, uh, I think it was uh, was it Kansas? He yeah, some, some yeah. he always wears those basketball. And Kansas he was basketball a drum guy too. Yeah, you know, like he's a fucking band nerd just like me and you were. Right, you know what exactly, I mean? Exactly, exactly. And like, but but I mean, he probably again. had braces and drooled all over himself. <laughs> I mean, this is but the again, kind of guy who goes home and watches TV like sports in his underwear. You know what I mean? And eats nachos. Yeah, they're. Normal that, that's people. definitely not even the yeah exactly but but again the fact you didn't have the reality thing and the the youtube thing and the documentary thing and the behind the scenes thing being as big at the time it was mm-hmm. still there there was behind the music on on vh1 yeah. for a long time but the fact they didn't participate in it really 
it was acceptable back then, but it really created this crazy mystery around them. I mean, it was just like, again, you didn't think they were normal guys. You didn't think that at all. You thought everything they did was so deliberate and intentional. Well, do you, you know? think they would have been able to exist the same way they did starting today Gosh. versus 20-something years ago? Hard would it, to, would it have say, worked? Hard to say, but probably because even back then they weren't exactly playing by the rules. So they uh -huh. weren't. So they were really breaking a lot of rules back then. So maybe they would have broken a lot of the rules today too, and still existed. You know, but yeah. it's hard to say. I mean, I think would if they the music had have translated today with dubstep being out? Now you got to admit that dubstep sounds cool, doesn't it? Man, it sounds cool. <laughs> you hear well, it in the club? It sounds cool. Well, right now it would, but you know, yeah, like yeah. Well, every time I hear dubstep, if I'm out in a, a club, which isn't. Gosh, it's pretty much never nowadays. But back in the day when I would go, you know, it'd be coming through like 18, 25, you know, mm -hmm. 25 different 18 inch speakers blasted at a million watts. So, yeah, it sounded cool because I'd had a ton of drinks. But, yeah. you know, now it's, it's different just like, now. you know, probably I was on some illicit drugs as well. But so it probably sounded yeah. great back then. But, uh, you know, like stackers, too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like stackers, too. That's what yeah. we, how we used to roll. Yeah, we used to have a lot of stackers, too. Horny goat weed. We're definitely bodybuilders, you know. Yeah, well, really. I tell you what. Okay, uh, as we're kind of getting to the end of this, I want to kind of wrap this up. But I wanted to share a story with you, Channing. I'm not sure if I've told you this before. I may have alluded to it. Oh, I love stories. But uh, can we tell jokes? Oh, oh that's a, what do you think this whole thing is about? I've mean, I got oh, forty something episodes of just filthy limericks. <laughs> well, not, not be a joke. Like my, my life's already a joke. But can we can mm -hmm. we tell jokes? Like why yeah. did the chicken cross the road or? Why is that? I don't know. Because he's a fucking asshole. That's why. I'm <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I don't. I don't go out of my way to cuss. It just sometimes it makes sense. <laughs> but anyway, I want to tell you a story about. You see that Marshall half stack JCM 2000 T triple super lead one TSL 100 watt. You know why it doesn't work right now? Is it because of a fuse? Yes, which blew in your attic of yeah. all places. Yeah, it did. It now, did. I remember that. Now, you know, I carried, held on to that fuse in a little bitty like meth bag for the longest, for like probably eight years. And I took it out and I had it placed in my desk back when my studio was downstairs and two bedrooms ago. And for whatever reason, I decided I was going to listen to 10,000 Days by Tool on my high end speaker setup. And I had it blazing, right? And I had me I a love nice. that album. I love uh, it. It's, it's the best. It's they just get better album. with time. It's, it's, it's an amazing album. There's this part of me that loves Inema the most. There's a part of me that loves Lateralis the most. But they, yeah. but when, when it comes down to it, 10,000 Days is the best. I'm sorry. If you're a true Tool fan, you yeah. almost don't want them to put out another album because it gonna, cannot possibly be better than you're that. You're going to get some slap back on that, man, because a lot of people feel like Lateralis was really the most evolved. And, and I'll say I can understand that. And I understand I, like, that. I, I'm kind of, I might not agree. I may not. I don't even necessarily agree with myself. Well, you know what I mean. The brilliant thing is, how do you not remake Lateralis? And the answer is ten thousand days. Exactly. Way. I mean, it's it, just, and it was it. But let me so tell you awesome. something. Like, like I think ten thousand days is a more spiritual album. If you want to understand yeah. what the members are about, I think that is their best representation of who they are as people after forty-five years of existence on yeah, this planet. Lyrically, it seems to be like you're saying a lot more spiritual. I never really and actually so, realized it. That's yeah. the part of me I appreciate. Maybe it's because I relate to it based on. I mean, maybe not everyone knows this, knows this, but my father was a Pentecostal preacher, so you know, kind of that that concept of you know, do I believe? Do I not believe? You know. It, it, it maybe it hit home a little such, harder with well, me. It's just such a powerful subject. It matter, was, especially when you came up that way. It just. But now that's how I came up. This is who I am now, right? So <laughs> I'm in my studio room, he, not to get too sappy with this. Yeah, my dad would be real proud. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, uh, at any rate, I ain't going to get into all that. That now nah, I ain't going to get into my child. That's a depressing story. But uh, at any well, rate, it's hilarious if you're not you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. <laughs> no. It's no, I'm this age. I'm that over. Pretty, it. That was a pretty I, terrible joke. No, it's actually pretty good. I make worse. So, Sorry. That's no, all good. Uh, uh, so at any rate, so I'm in my I'm in my studio room. I've got no kids, no wife. I'm just I'm just rela I got the speakers. My 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 KRK is blaring, baby, and I'm 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 cranking it, man. And I'm in my house, and I got some acres. So, and it's not like anybody can really hear. And if they do. Who are you gonna call? Ghostbusters? <laughs> fuck! I mow your lawn. Shut the fuck up! And I'm gonna, you know what I mean? I'm gonna if, play my music loud today. If they hear our podcast listening base just went mm -hmm. up like a few hundred percent, you know. So yeah, exactly. It's actually a good thing. 
So at any rate, so I'm listening to this, and I've got a glass of Glen Morangy, I believe, a Scottish whiskey, single malt. Uh, nice. Yeah. And I'm, I'm drinking some fine single malt whiskey, and I've had this stupid little, like, like it looks like a Coke bag or a meth bag with a little bitty fuse and a, and a fuse holder that goes into my big half stack amp, which I haven't used in eight, eight years. And all of a sudden, I'm holding my whiskey glass like a fucking wine snob, like a douchebag. Oh, you know, like the kind of guy who smells his own farts out of a wine sifter, you know, because when I drink scotch and this wasn't just regular Glen Morangy, it was like the one that's extra infused. And if you don't know scotch, you don't know what I'm talking about. So let's not worry about that. And I got this thing going and I'm listening to 10,000 days. I'm about halfway through it. And my fucking whiskey glass exploded in my hand. What? Fucking exploded in my hand. No. And I so it got all really? over my desk, which is different than this one. It what? was like some like Home Depot desk or like Office Depot desk, which I eventually sold off. And uh, so at any rate, so I finally get it cleaned off. And after that, I don't know what the hell happened to my fuse. I think it exploded and like disintegrated and went to heaven. Really? I think it did. Like the, the it just vanished? Uh-huh. And I think it was at that point that I realized I was not destined to play heavy metal music anymore. But I don't want to get rid of the amp because it, it's going to serve a purpose at some point. That point is just not now. I'm going to recreate that choral album, but the, now is not the time. Does that make sense? That's amazing, man. But I didn't have that. I had that revelation from listening to Tool 10,000 Days. Now, that's my story. Not everyone has that same story. And that's a true story. I'm not making this shit up. That's that's incredible, man. I, I actually did, had never heard that story. Now I don't tell this to everybody, but the reality is, I had my music up way too damn loud. That's what happened. That's what really happened. Like not really physically. Not really, because I've listened to a lot of live music or loud music. That's never happened mm-hmm. to me. But it fucking exploded you, you, my you whiskey should, glass you should, you should in my hand to all the all the two listeners out there. Basically, our moms. Uh, who, who who is Coral? What about oh Coral oh, what is, is Coral? Coral is my mother's name, but but Coral was the the band we had back in the day. Coral's how it which, all got which started, which was actually very promising. Like we were beating out. There was a time we were beating out a lot of the bands that went on mm-hmm. to uh, become very successful. I know, I know, Glass Intrepid. We were playing some shows mm-hmm. with, and they were doing very well at the time. We played some shows with them. And uh, yeah, the shows we played yeah. with them were not successful, no, <laughs> but, they, no. but they were happened. They actually went on to uh, go on the Warp tour and do a couple bus yeah. tests, which is a big deal. And I know those guys from Glass Intrepid. Now, the one, the lead singer from that guitar player from that band is a band called Six Pu- Sick Puppies, mm-hmm. who just completed a tour with Skillet, an arena tour, yeah. which was yeah. very, very big, very successful. They were selling out every show across the country. And uh, Rob, the guitar player from that band, is the bass player from To Whom It May, the, yeah. the band I mentioned earlier. What I'll going say to be is a really great band. The significance of that band is not what it did. It's not absolutely so much what it did. Not. It's what absolutely not. It's what it rubbed elbows with and what it got started. Yeah, that's the significance of it. It's and the, and the progressiveness of it. You know, kind of the and the, the, I the, think that and and for for pretty unique guys who wouldn't come to that. together in that significant way for a long time so it's pretty and you know what it's funny what really killed it is just the fact that that fourth member and just what he what was good for him and i alluded this in another episode in all reality if i'd have been a better like leader at the time i would have realized that what i'm asking this person to do is just outside of his ability to do and it would never work not to say it was wrong but it's kind of hard to go back and recreate it, but I think at some point I, I've got to recreate it. I've been meaning to. I've put work in, and I've put, uh, I've got pre-production to all the tracks. Question is, will I ever get back to do it? And that's kind of the, the final lore. And that's I think the answer the is about, yes. Oh yeah. I think the answer is yes, but you know what amp it'll be on? That awesome. one. I'm looking at it's a Marshall JCM 2000 TSL 100 triple super lead. Yeah. It's and, awesome, man. I mean, it always sounded incredible. Like best, uh, probably the best sounds we ever had on the records were definitely from that amp. Mm-hmm. It definitely wasn't the vocals or the bass or the drums, you know. It was, it, it was, was funny what drove that. It was that stupid freaking amp. But the funny thing is, oh, it sounds incredible. Though. It probably will never be used before that or after that. But I'm telling you, I'm going to hold on to it until I decide to finish that choral album. Now, the thing that's weird about it is, I've come to the conclusion that I have to sing it. 
Yeah. I, I just don't think it'll... I, you have to do anybody, what's right. Yeah. But I, t- the other thing is, I can't play the bass on it. I have to get you to play the bass. Yeah, I love it. You know, I am a, a bass player. Not first, you know, I learned guitar first, but, you know, bass player first as far as like... I don't know. Well, the it's hard to be a bass player and just a standalone bass player. Well, yeah, you can't the instrument do that. I, I really connected with as a performer first, mm-hmm. probably, and that really... You know, you can study music in school, but learning to play music is kind of a different thing, actually. So, yeah. and and for all the gearheads out there, like, what was your? Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting what kind of guitar you had at the time, because it wasn't like, first of all, strats weren't really in at the no. time, other than if you played, other than if you played grunge music. And no, really, the vintage, a, uh, the vintage gear thing wasn't big like it mm-hmm. is now. It it wasn't what it is. And today. It's funny to think that I'm holding on to this because I know, I, partially, I know at some point. I think this will be a vintage amp. They don't make this anymore. They make the DSL, but they don't make the TSL. So I'm kind of worried about if the motherboard ever blows on it, I'll, it'll be fucking irreplaceable. Well, you know what, though? It's also just tons of memories. That's yeah. what I realized with There's my no gear. money that you can replace yeah, for Yeah, I mean, th- those memories behind it are just too sweet, man, or d- whatever they are, they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're irreplaceable. You know, yeah. even if they're terrible, they're irreplaceable. But that amp may only see one more shot at glory, and that will be recording... The choral album, but it will happen, and I will not get rid of that amp until it does so, and then after that, I may, I may not. It just depends. Fortunately, I have a career, so I'm not totally strapped for money, but here, we're, here we are talking with two people on different sides of the spectrums, both working musicians, one who works as a musician, one who works and then comes home as a musician. And you've had, kind of had a chance to kind of see the back and forth, and these are two people who have known each other in most of their adult lives and childhood lives, and they came up. You know, very different. It's funny. If you would have just guessed on how we both came up, you would think that Channing would be the one who had a career. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be so opposite, you know. You know, it's funny. And not to say he came up with a silver spoon in his mouth. I'm just not what I'm saying, but (laughs) much more so than I did. Yet I'm the career businessman and he's the career music man. I had a lot of advantages I I chose to squander. Yeah, exactly. And what I'm saying is the grass is always greener. There is not a right or wrong choice. There is just what works for you. Yeah, sure. And so, Channing, thank you so much for coming on uh, and joining me on this episode. I hope we'll do it again and often. God, I hope you get someone better. Yeah, well, I hope so too. But until then... I honestly hope this podcast improves immensely because (laughs) it's just been so disappointing. Like, it was such a great idea and it just... Mm -hmm. We have set the bar so low that it's almost just like yeah. two nine-year-olds could get together. But there's nothing better else out there. And just whine about, you know, some Pixar movie. There's and- nothing better else out there. Believe me, if there was, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be listening. This is as good as it gets. Why aren't the people at home listening to, uh, like, the Joe Rogan show? You know, he's uh, he seems to be the, the, the one everyone likes. Doesn't he have, like, 100 million listeners an episode? I mean, that's unbelievable. Well, they, they need to be listening to us. Is that what needs to happen? So at any rate, oh man, guys, thank you so much for tuning in for the farty first episode of the Working Musicians Podcast. Here with not only your humble host Rice Organica, but also with, with Chan and Saul, Channing Saul. <laughs> There's a G at the end of it. Thank you for listening, and I bid you all farewell. Huzzah. <laughs>